You're listening to the Menopause Movement Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. If you haven't taken advantage of the Menopause Movement beta course yet, sign up at menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. We offer this $500 beta course at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials. Now, we normally require a lengthy application to join the course, but because you're a podcast listener, you can skip the application, go straight to the front of the line and get started on the material. Now, if you've always wanted to understand your hormones and manage your menopause naturally, this program is definitely for you. We just simply ask for feedback and testimonials so that we can improve the course to help more women. Just go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones to sign up for this program so that you can start to step out of that minnow muck that has kept you stuck. This is the Menopause Movement Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Thanks for being a part of the Menopause Movement. Today, we welcome pharmacist Sharza Green back to the podcast. Dr. Green received her Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Arizona in 1990, and the focus of her practice has been women's health and integrative medicine for the past 20 years. She's passionate about learning new things and teaching others. She's also formulated FabuVag. It's an all natural vaginal moisturizer. Today, we welcome her back for Supplements for Menopause Part 3. She's a frequent guest on the show, and I always enjoy these conversations with her because I learn a lot and I get some insights into the symptoms of menopause from a different perspective. Today's podcast is an informational one. So if you are suffering with menopause symptoms like hot flashes, sweating, sleeplessness, and mood disturbance, tune in to find out how to manage some of these symptoms with supplements. During the podcast, we talk about the eight B vitamins and why they're necessary, plus the importance of them when it comes to specific symptoms, black cohosh, what it's used for, when it's appropriate, and when not to use it, soy, how it's gotten a bad rap and how it can possibly help you. Evening primrose oil, and the surprising thing it helps with, DHEA, how important it is to know your levels before you start taking it and why. And stay to the end to find out what CoQ10 is, how it can help you, and what is the best type to take. Now at the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please take the time to review the podcast. Thanks for all the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please do because this helps more women find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause, because no one should have to go it alone. Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. And now let's get to Dr. Green and supplements for menopause part three. Dr. Green, welcome back again to the Menopause Movement Podcast. We are going to talk about supplements for menopause part three. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's really awesome. What is the next thing that we should help our listeners with? You know, last time when we were talking, you kind of asked about B vitamins. Right. And I said, let's keep that for a different discussion because it's quite extensive. So let's start with B vitamins. There are eight of them. 
in general, you know, if you want to talk about B vitamins. So let's start with B1. B1 or uh, thiamine, that's really important for growth, development, and cell function. But it's very important also in type 2 diabetes. Studies have shown that it may actually help lower blood sugar levels in patients with type 2 diabetes, and also maybe even have some preventive benefits. So make sure you get your B1 or thiamine. B2 is riboflavin. And again, it's important for growth and development and cell function. But one of the side benefits of it is that it could help reduce the risk of cataract. And as we age, of course, you know, we, we always worry about, well, if we're going to get cataracts. Another study showed that it could reduce PMS symptoms by 35%. Wow. And that's a lot. It so is. people who have premenstrual syndrome, that's really important. B2 or riboflavin is going to help you. B3 is niacin. Now we hear about niacin and a lot of people use it to help lower their cholesterol and lower their triglycerides. And it does help with those things. But it's very interesting that it does have some neuroprotective benefits. What does that mean? It could actually help prevent Alzheimer's and Parkinson's because of that benefit, because it helps with nerve function. It is needed. Niacin is needed by 400 different enzymes in our body very important. The key to getting a good niacin is that some of them could give you flushing and kind of that red this, uh, this, and this flush just feeling. what a menopausal woman needs is more flushing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Therefore, you want to go with the slow release ones or the ones that say no flush. B5 or pantothenic acid. Wait a minute. You didn't do B B4. Is there a B4? No, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it just throws you off. You're like, hmm, what happened yeah. to before? So I don't know why, but scientifically, there's no before that that is commercially available or, you know, I know of. All right. Um, so we have to skip to B5. B5 is pantothenic acid, and it's very important for hormone production. So for those of us who are interested in hormones, B5 is going to help you with your hormone production. It also reduces cholesterol and LDL. So that's a bonus. In addition to that, it reduces something called CRP or C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. So if somebody's CRP goes up, they are at higher risk for hardening of the arteries, which is also called atherosclerosis. Right. Therefore, if we could reduce the CRP by taking B5, that's to our benefit. Do you recommend now, we go that, that people get their CRP checked on a regular basis? Well, it depends on what, what is a regular basis. I guess it depends on your age and also on your risk factors. So if you're a person who has had high cholesterol all along and you, you know, you've inherited it or you've had a lousy uh, lifestyle to have that, yes, it's important to check your CRP and make sure that at least that one is under control because you don't want too many risk factors together because they they all always like hold hands to get you into trouble. So you want to disengage those hands and try to help your body as much as you can. Right. B6 or um, paradoxine, that's really important for nerve function. And it also is important to produce antibodies. That's very interesting because we don't think of vitamin Bs or B6 to help with antibody production. B6 has got a mood boosting effect because it's important in the production of 
brain chemicals, serotonin, and dopamine. So if you don't have enough B6, guess what? The production of serotonin and dopamine may drop, and therefore, you may be more depressed. Therefore, B6, very important. In fact, people, it's been shown that people who've been under chronic stress, so long-term, prolonged stress, tend to have lower B6 levels. Okay. Another study showed that people who take B6 and magnesium together had less of perceived stress. So their perception of stress was lessened. They felt less stress. Therefore, I always recommend a good B complex in general, and especially B6 in people who have adrenal dysfunction or difficulty going through stressful situations or chronic stress. Yeah. And if you think you have some adrenal dysfunction or some adrenal issues, go back and watch our episode on- We called adrenal it adrenal fatigue. Yeah, adrenal fatigue. But yeah, yes, it's, yeah. it's the, the more correct name or um, proper name is adrenal dysfunction. Right so, on. Yeah. So, but, so, yeah. but if, you, if you're worried or you're concerned about that, then go and watch the episode or listen to the episode on adrenal fatigue with Dr. Green, because that's filled with really great information. And I think what's really interesting about adrenal fatigue and menopause is it's hard to tell which is which. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. A menopause alone is stressful enough for some of us that it actually leads us into adrenal dysfunction. You're mm -hmm. correct. All right. The next one, pretty much everybody knows about this one, is B7 or biotin. Why do we know about this? It's because it helps our hair and our nails. You know, I was actually looking at my videos from like six months ago or even three months ago. I've been so faithful taking my collagen and, and biotin. You know, it's a combination thing that I take. And I'm like, my hair has grown quite a bit. That's so, great. Not mine. See, that's why I, keep I know. Mine that's why. But my hair grows really fast. I mean, I, I probably cut it every two to three weeks. Yeah, really? Yeah, it's fast. It, looks it grows good. fast. It looks good. Yeah. <laughs> and for anyone You'll who's just listening, I have uh, I have no hair. I, I shave my head. I have ever since before the pandemic. Something I always wanted to do. So I did. You were brave. I, we talked about that. I don't that. think it's brave. Like, I just, I just, just, just doing it. And now I just, I, I prefer it. So it's low maintenance, isn't it? No, I wouldn't say that because I have to shave no? it. I use a, I use a razor to shave it. And I have, um, there's some weird things that I, that, that are just unique to me that, I mean, maybe not only me, but, but I'm very, very sensitive to certain types of feelings. Like I don't like the feeling of a wool sweater, for example, and I can't stand Every time I, I always would avoid getting my hair cut because the sensory, the feeling of having small hairs uh, on my face and on my neck really bothered me. And so with with all the small hairs that I that, that you get when you shave your head, it's super, super uncomfortable for me. And I have to take an immediate shower and then I don't even always get all the hair. So it is a little bit more high maintenance believe it or not, for this, for, for me, because I have so many weird sensory issues. That makes sense. That makes sense. So going back to biotin or B7, it does help regulate your blood sugar as well. Mm. So that's a bonus, especially in people with type one diabetes. And study has found that taking B, uh, biotin could reduce fasting blood sugar as well as LDL or the lousy cholesterol after three months of taking it. So very important. Don't forget to take your biotin. The next one, we're going to skip B8. There's okay. no B8. <laughs> so now we're at B9, which is also known as folate. Folate, folate so is important. very important. So folic acid 
and folate both help pregnant women by preventing neural tube defects in the babies. Therefore, folate is the natural form, folic acid is the synthetic form, okay? Both of them help with DNA production, cell division, and cognitive function. So your brain function, very important. A two-year study showed increased verbal IQ in people who actually took folic acid or folate. And it's also important in prevention of Alzheimer's disease. So very important. Now, I'm going to get sidetracked here by talking a little bit about a condition called uh, MTHFR deficiency. So there are right. some people, basically, we need to, our body needs to convert folate and folic acid into MTHF, well, which is the, the active form. Let's go back a little bit to that and talk about how somebody finds out if they have an MTHFR deficiency. I am one of them. So are you? Yeah, I take methylated Bs. But let's talk about how we found that out. Do you know the history of that and where it comes from? Uh, I'm not sure about the history, but I know uh, about the blood testing and all that. But please tell me. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's basically when we started doing the human genome, we started finding mm -hmm. like what are certain things and just with a saliva swab, you can find out if you have MTHFR. And there's there's a couple things that you can do to make it easier on your body. So when I was in college, we didn't even, you know, have the genome, the human genome yet. And now now we, we know, you know, all of the deficiencies that can lead to certain types of diseases, you know, if, if you have like SIP, SIP anomalies or MTHFR anomalies, it makes you a little bit more susceptible to certain things. And so I think I think that's it's important. Because those of us who remember before we had the genome, you know, now, I mean, even even cancer treatments are really kind of targeted genetically, right? So, right, right. Yeah. So anyway. And pharmacogenomics so is a big, big field now. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to me. It is. But that's why in, in some of these patients who are MTHFR deficient, the, the normal antidepressants were not working for them. So that's when they found out that if these patients take the methylated for form of B vitamins, then they can actually process it and it would be helpful to them. So very important. I just want your, your audience to pay attention to that. And there is actually a large portion of the population who is deficient in MTHFR. Yeah, it's really okay. common. All right. So now there's no B10 or B11 and we get to B12. And we all know about B12. So what do we do as soon as we feel tired? We're like, I, I got to, you know, take some B12 and see if that helps boost my energy. And it does. It does help some if your level is actually low or on the low side. But it is stored in the liver. There is, um, when it comes to B12, it's called cobalamin. Cobalamin has got different forms. There is cyanocobalamin, which is the synthetic form, which is not the preferred form because it's got less absorption and less ability to actually help our bodies. Then there's methylcobalamin, which is the preferred form, going back to, again, methylated B vitamins. There's also hydroxycobalamin and adenosylcobalamin. But we really don't hear about hydroxy or adenosyl because most often it's either cyanocobalamin or methylcobalamin. Uh, there are some patients who can't process methylcobalamin. Therefore, in those cases, we do hydroxyl or adenosyl. Um, so B12 does protect against heart disease. It does help 
uh, lower homocysteine. Homocysteine mm-hmm. actually is an indicator uh, that shows arterial damage and blood clotting. So if you have enough B12, you help your body and your heart. So homocysteine, uh, I have a friend who actually probably had like too much homocysteine and had several strokes and mm. they, they didn't really know what to do for her. It was really, it was a really weird, I mean, she's completely fine now, but it was a really weird issue that she had. And so you want to make sure that when you're looking this, anyone who's listening to this, you want to make sure that you're going to have a, a partner, a healthcare partner who is going to help you at least get the, the, the required test to find out what your B vitamin levels are and you know some of these other things like CRP and homocysteine and those sorts of things. And usually during a, a routine physical exam on a yearly basis, you'll you'll be able to get those pretty commonly. Those blood oh, tests. Oh yeah, yeah. Those those are very common. So. Yeah. All right. I think we're done with B vitamins. We All gave right. them a lot of time. So yeah. next on the agenda is talking about supplements that we hear menopausal women look for and buy frequently Mm. to help their hot flashes and night sweats and their menopausal symptoms. So let's talk about that. We hear about black cohosh quite a bit, right? Yeah. Black cohosh is a wildflower. And interestingly enough, it's been around since 1940s in Germany. And in Germany, it's very much standardized. But in the US, the FDA does not really regulate herbal products. So it's kind of like on its own. And therefore, there is a variety of strengths and forms and doses. And there isn't really a standardized one. I mean, there are some, but just going to the store, not everything is standardized. So you have to be very careful in picking the right black cohosh. Studies have shown that it could potentially help with hot flashes and night sweats and also with moods in menopause. How does it do that? Honestly, we don't know. But we think that it could work as an estrogen or even as an anti-estrogen. So it could work on estrogen receptors and also what we call CIRMS, which is the selective estrogen receptor modulator. So it could menopause. work. As- you, had a, you just had a menopause no. moment. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> it's okay. So- it happens all the time. It used to happen all the time for me when I first started having menopause and I couldn't remember the name. As a surgeon, I couldn't remember the name of certain anatomical body parts. And it would be like, I'd be trying to remember the name of an artery or, or something, and it would just pop out. And, and, and then I would, I would be like, um, 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 um. And then finally it would show up in my brain. So uh, you're not alone. So, thank you. So it could either work as an estrogen or as a CERM, which is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. And the estrogenic, estrogenic effect of it seems to be really beneficial for the bones. It seems like it, it really helps your, your bones. So you're saying, wait, let's just, let me just back this up. So you're saying that the, the estrogenic effect of black cohosh is helpful for the bones in uh, any woman who is maybe going toward or predisposed towards uh, osteoporosis? It could be. Okay. Uh, now, again, here's the problem with the studies. There are studies that show it helps with bones and bone density, and there are studies that show nothing happens. And the problem is the product that you're using to do the study. So we don't really know, but we think that it does help benefit your bones. Well, I think I think the it's other- important. You did mention this, and I think it's important to really reiterate this: is that the products are not regulated 
in the same way. They're not thought of as medications by the FDA here in America. And so you can go and get, you know, brand X that's going to have a certain amount of active ingredient, and then you're going to get brown Y that might have more or less. And that's the problem with supplements in America. However, when you go to Europe, for the most part, these things are, like you said, in Germany, but not just Germany, but all of Europe, these things are really, really regulated. And so every time, let's say you're going to get, you know, we'll talk about something like melatonin, which is only available by, by prescription in Europe and it's over the counter here. You're always going to get the same formulation because it's so, so strict over there. And so be careful if you're in America and most of my audience is in America. When you're buying supplements, it's really important to buy from a reputable company. Absolutely. Absolutely. On this same token, you know, we said that it could be working as an estrogen or it could be an anti-estrogen. Interestingly enough, black cohosh studies have not shown that it, it affects the endometrial tissue. Because we're always worried about, well, what if it's got some estrogenic on the endometrial tissue and the person developed endometrial cancer, for example. Mm -hmm. So we, that's why we think that it could have estrogenic and anti-estrogenic effects, both depending on where uh, the target is in the body. Okay. The other mechanism that we think it works with is through serotonin. So it works on serotonin receptors. Okay. That's why some studies show that women who take black cohosh have got better moods. Their depression improves when they take black cohosh. Well, and okay. I think also that's, a, that's, we don't know the mechanism of action of hot flashes. We think, we think that it has something to do with a neurotransmitter, but we're not sure. And so the reason why your doctor may prescribe for you a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, SSRI, like a Prozac, for example, is because that can kind of cut that down and, and make it better. So it's not because they think you're depressed, but it's because the research has shown that an SSRI can help decrease hot flashes. However, that's, you know, that's the, the mechanism of action perhaps as well with black cohosh. So I just wanted to kind of put that in there. You're right. You're right. And also studies are, well, experts are suggesting that if you have a history or you, you are going through breast cancer or some kind of condition that's estrogen related, then avoid black cohosh mm. just because we don't really know how it's working. In addition to that, some black cohosh have been shown to be contaminated with metals such as lead. There was a study that showed higher lead levels in women who were taking black cohosh it again goes back to the lack of standardization in the US. Black cohosh can potentially be hepatotoxic, meaning that it could affect your liver in a negative way. Not always. And the, the jury's out because there were some cases of liver problems with people taking black cohosh. But again, we don't know what component of it might have caused it or if it was really a causal relationship. Right. Uh, but if you're taking other medications that could be hard on your liver, such as atorvastatin or, you know, any of the statin drugs, then Tylenol. you want to be careful. Paracetamol. Yep. Or Tylenol. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So that's that. So that's uh, black cohosh, which is very commonly used. Then we go to soy. Now, soy has got a bad rap because it was good, good, good. And then it became bad, bad, bad. So I want to, to clear the air about soy. 
All right. Let's clear the air, but let's remember it's almost impossible to get a non-GMO soy in the world. Is that right? Yeah, it's really, really hard. So, but let's clear the air why. around soy. Why? Because okay. because soy is it's produced so so heavily, and it, they've just been so much cross contamination. It's just very very hard to get a non-GMO mm. soy. So soy is a legume, and it originated from China. Now it's uh, planted everywhere. Just just like you said, it's everywhere in the world, pretty much. And there is soy isoflavins that uh, are one of the most important parts of soy. That actually they have a similar structure to estradiol and also to CERMs, again, the selective estrogen receptor modulators. So very interesting. It does have some estrogenic effect, we think. But again, when, when they do these studies, it seems like there are two different receptors for soy. There's alpha receptors, which basically soy does not have as much affinity to. And then there's beta receptors that soy is attracted to. The beta receptors are usually in more prevalent in the heart in your vasculature, in your bones, and your bladder. Now, soy does reduce your LDL or the lousy cholesterol, does increase your HDL or happy, healthy cholesterol, and it's been shown to actually help improve bone density, right? So those are the positive things. And the reason, the other- but the reason why it does that is because it's estrogen-like. And so everywhere in the body that requires estrogen, the bones, the soft tissue, the heart, the brain, it, it can help. So we want to, you know, that so, but we're not saying the soy is good yet. So we're just saying right. that, that, that because the jury's still out on soy and, and poor soy, we feel so sorry for soy <laughs> because, we because do. it was, it was really awesome. And then, and then we started seeing some, some not so great things from it. So, all right. So it's estrogen like it's, it's estrogen like, but interestingly yeah. enough, studies have shown that it does not affect the endometrium. Very interesting. That's why, again, we go to does it have an anti-estrogenic effect also on certain parts of the body? So when you read the more recent research, it's like they're almost defending soy. They're saying, really, it's not bad. You shouldn't be so you know, harsh on soy. And where did it come from? Where did the thought even come from that we needed soy? Studies or observations showed that Asian women going through menopause were not complaining about menopausal symptoms as much as American women were. They didn't, now, they didn't complain about menopause at all. As a matter of fact, it, there was no word in, in Chinese for menopause until recently. So it, it, it's kind of interesting that is it a cultural thing or um, is it really related to their diet? Well, when, we, when they looked at their diet, they said, well, their diet is very high in soy. They consume 40 to 80 milligrams of isoflavin a day versus Americans who consume less than three milligrams. That's where the thought process came like, oh, well, maybe we should, you know, uh, try mm-hmm. to, to use soy. So you're right. The jury's out. We don't really know if soy is good or bad. Again, if you're going to be consuming soy products, moderation, I wouldn't overdo it because we just don't know. Well, we don't know. And then if you're also a woman who has, you know, an ER positive breast cancer, then soy is not something you want to have in your diet, uh, you know, depending on what your oncologist says. But that's that's something you have to be really cognizant of uh, with disease. But the other thing I want to say is that everywhere in the world, except for pretty much America, has a regional cuisine. And and there are we're starting to get into it a little bit more now in America where you have certain certain foods that are you know, we, we really see in the, in the South maybe, and I'm not talking about fried, 
you know, chicken. <laughs> I'm talking about certain types of beans that grow in the area. And since America is still so young, we got away. And, and because of the way that the immigrants took over the country, you know, they took over the land, we didn't really get to find out what the regional cuisine has been for this country. And maybe if we did find out, it's been lost to history. I, I'm trying to be politically correct here without talking too much about, about the, the hor horrors of the set settlement and what, what happened. But, you know, it, it's what living in the Hudson Valley, what I found is that, is that we can have locally sourced really great food that just grows here. And when you work with regional ingredients and locally sourced ingredients, your diet really does improve. That's that's my point. You're right. And you're health. absolutely right. To my point about regional cuisine is that soy grow you know, soy grows in, in China and Japan and it has become a staple there mm -hmm. over generations. And in America, that's just not something that we've really ever embraced. But I just want to say, you know, to close this part, the diet plays a huge part of our health. And it's important to know what we can get locally sourced that is going to help us. I mean, what, who was it? Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine, right? And so while we're talking about supplements here, we also have to really pay attention to what we choose to put in our mouths because we can take all the best supplements, but if we're eating fast processed food all the time, that's, that's going to break down our hormones and, and wreak havoc in our endocrine system. You know, it's very interesting what you said because my son was taking a nutrition class last semester and their assignment in the middle of the pandemic was to go find a lemon that was actually grown in Arizona. That, uh, that was an Arizona grown lemon. He had the hardest time finding one. So there were, there were lemons from California, from Chile, from Mexico, but none from Arizona, which forced him to have to look for like a farmer's market and the farmer's markets were closed because of the pandemic. It just was so hard. You're so right. When it comes to local foods, we have such a hard time obtaining uh, local foods that are healthy. I mean, look, look at what happens, uh, you know, where, where you live. You're in Arizona, right? And yeah. the cactus, it's a staple you can get there, right? You can get the cactus oh, yeah. Uh, salsa. Yeah, there's cactus everywhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. but you can eat it and, and it's delicious and mix it right. with tomatillos and, and things like that. And that's the only place I've ever had that is is in the Southwest. It's, you know, you can find it, but it's not something, you know, you get it in Southern California, you get it in Arizona, you get it in New Mexico. And, and so right. there is some re regional cuisine. And when I lived in California, I had citrus trees. So I had an orange tree, I had a lime tree, I had a couple lime trees, I had an, a lemon tree. And if I lived down there where there was so much sun, I would definitely have a grove of citrus. But the problem with being in Arizona, there's so much sun, you, you have to like, you know, make sure you, they, they get enough water. I know. To that effect, you're right. I mean, we did have, my parents had a lemon tree, he could have got that. But the, the point was, was go find it in the store mm. or someplace where you could purchase it. And it was really hard because not everybody has a lemon tree in their backyard. Right. But uh, it, is, it, it is very important to, and, and the other part of it is that the soil is depleted from many of these vitamins and minerals. So what we are getting on our trees may not be as nutritious as they used to be 30 years ago. Good point. Yeah. So what's next? So, what's our next one right. after soy? 
Well, the third one that I hear about uh, from menopausal women that a lot of them try is evening primrose oil or EPO. It is believed to help with PMS. It's uh, helpful for breast pain, for endometriosis, for menopausal symptoms. But honestly, when it comes down to the studies, it has not been shown to help with menopausal symptoms such as hot flashes or night sweats. It does show that it may help the psychological symptoms such as depression, irritability, anxiety by 45%. So it is actually really helpful with the moods, but not necessarily with hot flashes or night sweats. Uh, One important thing to remember with EPO is that it could affect your bleeding. So if you're on blood thinners, or if you have a bleeding disorder, or if you're going for a surgery, you're a surgeon, why do you tell people to go off of all their supplements a, a week or two before surgery? Yeah, it's, it's because yeah, no, it, it, but it's not just um, evening primrose oil, it's vitamin E and aspirin, you know, and Motrin. Oh, yeah. Motrin, which oh, we, yeah. you know, we take like candy here in this country. And so it's really important or ibuprofen uh, for mm-hmm. people in Europe, more more generics there. But yep. those things all affect your bleeding time. And also if you have a any kidney disorder, then taking things like ibuprofen is contraindicated. You don't want to take that because it can, it goes, it's metabolized to the kidneys. That's correct. So that's, uh, those are the three things that I see. Of course, you know, there's a lot of other things that I hear about, but they're not very common and you you can't really find them in the stores. Uh, But I just wanted women to, to have an understanding of what's available out Mm -hmm. there and does it really work or not? If it works for you, great. And you don't have any history of breast cancer or, you know, hormone conditions that are, you know, cancerous, then that's fine. But if it doesn't help you, or if you have those conditions, then definitely avoid it. Treat it just like estrogen, especially when it comes to black cohosh and soy. Both. Yeah. And I think one more that we haven't mentioned that has shown to be helpful in, and I don't know if we've talked about this in one of our other uh, episodes, but if you have a lot of sweating, then you can take sage. Sage can help decrease sweating. You just want to make sure you're getting a good formulation. So with that said, with these supplements, where do you think people should get them? Where's, what's, how do we know? I mean, we've talked about a couple of brands, like I like the Gaia brand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Nature Made is not awful, but where can people get supplements that are really, really reliable in America specifically? Again, I prefer going through a wholesaler that carries supplements that are made by companies that do testing and they're more reputable and they stand behind their products. Mm-hmm. And I usually go through full script and I can put that in the show notes, uh, how to go through it because they don't sell it to, to patients without a provider actually adding you to the system or giving you a code. So I usually prefer full script because they, when I go to full script, I can pretty much trust any of their stuff because they don't just carry any. That's my uh, go-to place. But Gaia is, is good too. You know, you've, you've mentioned that before. And I believe Gaia is also available through full script as well. Oh, okay. That's great. All right. Yeah. Well, anything else you wanted to share today? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, do you want to talk about DHEA? Sure, why not? Let's talk about DHEA. All right. So DHEA seems to be the magic bullet these days. It's available over the counter. The minute you say, I want to lose weight, the minute you say, I'm low in energy, I want to build muscle mass, everybody 
seems to point to DHEA. Not so fast. I like DHEA, but I'm very, very careful with it. A little bit of DHEA, if your level is low, is good. If you do not know your DHEA level, I strongly recommend against taking it. The side effects of too much DHEA can be pretty bad. It could cause severe irritability and anger. It could cause increased body hair, facial hair, and acne. As, as if women in menopause aren't angry enough. And and the <laughs> reason right. why the reason why you get those, the the increased body hair and the acne is because DHEA is a precursor to testosterone. And so your body's going to turn it into testosterone inside inside the metabolism. And when you do that, you get too much testosterone, then then you get all these side effects. You get her suit, and 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 you get acne and and things like that. So it, it, DHEA is not a magic bullet. You have to be careful. You could even lose uh, hair off of your scalp, so it could cause alopecia for the same reason. Yeah, because testosterone does the same thing. Therefore, I strongly recommend against taking DHEA unless if you have and level and you are under the care of someone who knows what they're doing. Sometimes I see real high doses of DHEA and I just go like, how could you be taking that much? Mm. Um, again, it's over the counter and it's not really regulated. So you could find a dose as low as five milligrams or 50 milligrams. And who's to say which dose is right for you? I usually go with the lower doses, even, even if um, the person has got a low level and then kind of like gradually build up on that. Now, there are different kinds of DHEA. Um, it could, uh, you know, the DHEA capsules could help improve depression in certain cases. In some cases, uh, in people who have fertility issues, getting pregnant, taking DHEA for three months prior to IVF has been shown to be helpful. It could help uh, improve sexual function. So with people who have low DHEA level, that could potentially help. Most importantly, DHEA vaginally in a either um, a prescription form or compounded form, suppositories, gels, or there's some OTCs, there's over-the-counter uh, DHEA ovules that we carry in, in our pharmacy that does not require prescriptions. But anyways, DHEA can help with vaginal thinning. So it could actually help uh, thicken the, the uh, vaginal area and help with painful intercourse and sexual function. So very important to, to use the right dose. Again, it's a very small dose when it's used vaginally. We talked about the cautions with DHEA. Do not use DHEA if you have mood disorders. So if you have especially like bipolar disorder. Some people with bipolar disorder do have high DHA level. Mm. If you have liver problems, taking DHA capsules may not be a good idea. Again, be very careful. It could interact with other medications. So you want to discuss that with your doctor. It could actually lower your good cholesterol. So if you have cholesterol problems, again, be very careful using DHEA. DHEA can get converted to estrogen in your body. Therefore, if you have had breast cancer that has been estrogen positive, you want to be very cautious. Don't just use DHEA on your own. It could affect insulin levels in your body and therefore your blood sugar levels. So if you're diabetic, be mindful of that. Check your blood sugar levels periodically. It could affect prostate in men who have benign prosthetic hypertrophy or basically enlarged prostate. So you want to be very 
careful. In men, it could also cause breast pain or enlarged breasts. Because of the estrogen-like so, effect. Exactly. So you want to be careful with that. Other than that, you know, upset stomach is a common one uh, for DHEA. And that's basically it. Have your level checked before you start DHEA. Any questions there? Uh, no. All right. I thought I should include coenzyme Q10 in today's conversation, just to add a little bit more because we kind of talked about things for menopause, but mm-hmm. CoQ10 is such a common supplement that we see everywhere. And we don't know whether we should take it or not. Well, my neighbor is taking it. So maybe I should take it. Is it good for the heart? You know, what does it do? Okay, so CoQ10 is naturally made in your body. Okay, but you also get it from your foods and supplements. There are people actually CoQ10 can be measured in your blood believe it or not. But in general, if you are a person who's otherwise healthy, you could take a CoQ10, a low dose just to to help your body have that enough amount of CoQ10, because we don't know how much CoQ10 your body is producing. Also, if you are on statin drugs, so lipid lowering, you know, cholesterol lowering drugs. So what are some of the statins? Averstatin? Atorvastatin. Yeah. What's the? Gosh, there's so many of them. Well, what's the uh, one that's that's proven to be cardioprotective? Pra- and and uh, there's pravastatin, pravacol, right? It, yeah, it, there, yeah, there's like but, so many of them. Oh, shoot, I can't remember the name. Crestor, okay. because Crestor a few years ago was found to be in, in studies to be cardioprotective, and it could help to prevent heart attacks according to certain studies. Awesome, but what happens when you take a statin? You get myalgias, right? Right, and that could be really related to um, kind of prevention of production of CoQ10 in your body because statins tend to do that. So that's another reason. Anytime you go on a statin drug, you want to take CoQ10. In general, there's two different kinds of CoQ10. There's ubiquinol and then there is ubiquinone. Ubiquinone gets converted to ubiquinol. Okay. And ubiquinol in general is more expensive because it works because it's the active form and it actually is better absorbed. It's been shown that ubiquinol is up to eight times more absorbable than ubiquinone. Okay. So it's important to take it. Uh, There are some companies that are adding some other ingredients like orange peel and other ingredients to help the absorption of CoQ10. But basically, you the lower do- the lowest dose is probably 50 milligrams. On average, most people need about 100 milligrams. We occasionally see doses of 200 to 400 milligrams. But if you're going to go with such high dose, then you need to have your level checked. In terms of what brand to buy, it's that's a hard question because it is a very sensitive molecule. And in preparing it, a little bit Uh, a slight change of temperature or the way they're making it, the pH could definitely affect the production. And what you get in the capsule may not be as effective as what's claimed to be on the label. So that's why I'm, even though it's expensive, I always say, try to stick with a good reputable brand. Yeah. Yeah, that's all, you know, it's, it's just the kind of a short summary about CoQ10, it is important for many functions in the body, especially with the muscles. You you mentioned people get muscle aches when they take statins sometimes, and that's usually because their CoQ10 drops. Yeah, that's great. Where can people find you? (laughs) They can find me uh, on my website, uh, fabuvag.com. Fabuvag, F-A-B-U-V-A-G.com. Right on. Did you know 
that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life, and to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Thank you.